de son histoire. Hello and welcome to the Alumni Lounge, uh, the first, only, and best Montreal Canadiens alumni podcast. I'm Chantal Desjardins, joined by my favorite former Montreal Canadian, and I'm not just saying that because he's staring at me right now, Patrice Brisbois. Hello, Chantal. Thank you. <laughs> you're my favorite too. <laughs> oh, you're just saying that because I'm staring at you. Uh, that's cool. <laughs> the Alumni Lounge brought to you by Scotia Advice Plus. A simple conversation today can help you reach your goals tomorrow, only from Scotiabank. Now, in just a moment, we'll chat with former Montreal Canadiens captain Chris Chelios. But first, the fans want to know more about you. So before the before the show, we were talking about skiing. Uh, you're a big skier. You love to ski. I love to ski, but uh, uh, this year I, I didn't ski. Uh, you know, with the pandemic, is that was hard to uh, to get tickets. Uh, usually, I, I ski in Mont Tremblant, but uh, this year I didn't ski. But I, I love skiing. I love the speed. Uh, the, in 2004, the, the lockout year, uh, I ski for uh, like almost three months with Melanie Turgeon, who was one of the best uh, Canadian female skier. And uh, she taught me a lot, lot, lot of things. And uh, at the end, I was doing gates, you know, like, so the speed, I was, my ski was carving, like, I was fun. I, was, I had so much fun. Every morning, I was on the slope and uh, I really, really enjoyed that, that year, even if I was uh, losing a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> right, that probably made you feel a little bit better. <laughs> How much did you do when you were playing? Like, were you told not to do activities where you could get hurt and you just kind of like- Exactly, you know what? Anymore. You're retired now, you can't get in trouble for telling me. No, I know, but the thing is, you know, a lot of people, they, they, they always uh, ask me, say, why the hockey players, they only play golf? Why they don't do something else? Because golf, you know what, it's, it's not an extreme sport. It's just, okay, you hit the ball and, and that's it. So, uh, so that's why you're not allowed to ski. Because if, if you get hurt, well, you're not going to get paid. Right. Simple as that. So uh, same thing when I was racing. Uh, after signing a release, if I was not 100% uh, top shape at, at the first day of the training camp, I'm not getting paid. And I take that risk because I said to myself, you have one life to live, have fun, enjoy your life. And, uh, and I have a, a good story, Chantal. Uh, I had a, a dinner with Michael Schumacher, you know, the, the F1 wow. driver for Ferrari. Yeah. And Michael was, was telling me, he says, you know what? When you're afraid to do something, that's, not, that's how you, you're going to get hurt. Mm. He says, says to me, you know what, if you're doing the sport and you're really like focused 100%, he says, you know what, everything's going to be okay. But if you have a doubt doing something, maybe you're going to get hurt. Mm -hmm. So every time I was, you know, driving my car or skiing, I was like, you know what, focusing and enjoy it and, and have fun. Wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, it makes sense though, right? If you're, if you're yeah. in it and you're 100%, it, it would make sense that you would be less likely to fall over. Whereas if you're skiing and you're like, Oh dear, if I get hurt and then of course you're going to fall over, you know, it's Murphy's law. Yeah. yeah. Um, another, another question. Most, when you're playing, um, most fun road trip you went on with the guys, is there like a good story of you guys, you know, getting lost in, you know, after a night out and having to take a cab bus home at 4am, like, tell us a story we don't know. You know what? I really, really enjoy you know what, when we're going uh, in the West, you know what, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, uh, Winnipeg back then, you know, in, in the 90s, because we feel like we're, we're playing at home because so many Montreal Canadian fans and everywhere you're going after at the bar, people love you. And Vancouver and, and Calgary and Edmonton, like, that was, that was a, a, a very good feeling. Like uh, you feel like very, very special. And that was great games. You know, that's so many nights. There was, a, the, you know, Saturday night uh, uh, hockey in Canada. And, you know, you, you're playing in front of so many people. And um, great, great, great memories. That was, that was fun time. Do you have any uh, most memorable or the funniest fan experiences? Like, did someone ever come up to you with like a cardboard cutout of Patrice Brisbois and you have to like take a picture? 
Uh, I have to think about that. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's it. Sometimes you met people, Chantal. You, you, you know, they ask you something, or they ask you to sign things. Sometimes you're like, "You want me to sign that? Like, are you like sure? What? Like boobs? Yeah, something like that. You know, something <laughs> like that. And you're like, well, you know what? I'm sorry, but well, uh, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Um, I know you're a board game guy. What is your favorite board game? Uh, now it's, uh, you know, when I was, so, uh, I was young and when my mom uh, was, you know, was alive, I was playing a skim, skimbo with my mom. I don't know if the, you know, that, that game, it's, it's a game card and that's a fun, fun game, but now. What's it called? You, you cut out there. Rim, rim, rim cube. Okay. Rim so cube. I have something to admit. Yeah. Um, I saw you and Nadia playing Rummy Cub on one of your Instagrams a few months ago, and I love yeah. a good board game. So I actually yeah. ordered it based on your Instagram post, and now it is my favorite board game. You know what, Chantal? Every night, me and Nadia were playing. <laughs> it's good. You know what? It's good because it's good for the mental. Because, you know, the game, you have to look the board and, you know, mix the, the numbers and stuff like that. So... Uh, I really, really enjoyed that game. And, and me and Nadia were really, really competitive. <laughs> so uh, sometimes we are, I don't know why you're doing that, this and that. And uh, we have some little argument, but uh, at the end, <laughs> everything's fine. It reminds me of the Queen's Gambit because after I go to bed, I see the moves on the ceiling. <laughs> the numbers in your head, yeah. <laughs> I should do um, this. I should. Oh no! Yes, you're right. My, I like, I'm like that too, Chantal. Yeah. From for my uh, wedding, for my first wedding, I actually uh, was registered at Toys R Us. So board games were my thing. I don't want to say that that was my maturity level at the time I got married for the first time, <laughs> but uh, I have many, many board games. <laughs> Why not? It's fun time. I like I like board board game. I like it. And, and now uh, we're learning fun things about you. We know you hate bad drivers. We know you're on TikTok. Give me one more fun fact about you. <sighs> you cut me now. <laughs> fun fact. I, I don't know. Uh, Could be anything. Could be your your pet, your dog's name when you were a kid. I, I told you I don't I don't have dogs <laughs> when I was young. Who doesn't have a dog when they were a kid? I feel like I don't every know. Kid my parents, they, they were not, uh, you know what? They never uh, think about it. I never asked for a dog because I was so, you know, focusing on, you know, on hockey in school. So I didn't have time to have, to have a dog. And uh, it's funny because when my parents moved to St. Dona, they bought not one, but they bought two dogs. Wow. Yeah. Well, I've got, and I've got something to show you. This is my dog and you, oh, can, have that. you can have him anytime. Oh, <laughs> so cute. <laughs> Look at him. Anyways. All right. Well, you're off the hook. If you can't think of a fun fact for today, the I'm fun sorry. fact is you, the fun fact is you didn't have a dog. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't have, a, I didn't have a dog. Introducing advice plus. A new way to create a plan, together, that keeps you heading in the right direction. We start by getting to know you better. Then, we'll work together to build a plan that grows with you, adding personalized products and solutions along the way that can help you reach your goals tomorrow. We get to know you better to guide you better. Today and tomorrow, Advice Plus, only from Scotiabank. Now it's time to introduce uh, former Montreal Canadiens captain, overall cool guy, and uh, hell of a tan, Chris Chelios. <laughs> yeah, I've never, I've lost uh, a tanning more in the NHL. I've for sure won that every year, but yeah, it's been great. <laughs> I mean, as far as, you know, this crazy year's gone, um, been lucky that I, I didn't have to work and, and uh, had some good friends in Miami and all over Florida and they let me stay with them, it's great. <laughs> Now show us, can you, can you show us again that, that ocean view that, that we're missing in Montreal are right you, now? Are you serious? You yeah, yeah, I'm serious. Let's vicariously. I don't think Montreal people are going to like this, but whatever, I'm sorry. We'll uh, enjoy it for sure. Yeah. 
Oh. The sirens, but there you go, everybody. Wow. Oh, beautiful. That is something else. <laughs> Don't mind the sirens. <laughs> um, so you're in you're in Florida right now, but yeah. you, you were in LA. Yeah. Or you were you were in Malibu. Yeah. Well, when COVID hit, obviously everybody's looking for a place to you know get isolate and get away. And, and you know, in Chicago, Montreal, the winter cities, it was tough on the people there because you're stuck inside. There's not much to do. So like I said, I feel really lucky and not, I'm not rubbing it into anybody. It's just, I've had that place for, you know, almost 30 years out there. I've been out wow. there. So it just worked out good with the kids and, you know, everybody out of school, everybody out of work and spent what four or five months until, you know, everything pretty much opened in, uh, in Chicago, June, you know, a little bit mid June. So, right. That's great. Um, in, in Malibu, back to, to that spot, I heard you were part of like a, a group of homeowners called the Malibu Mob, you know, Kid Rock, John Cusack, Tony Danza, Kelsey Grammer. You must have the most amazing stories. Well, you know, we it was a, it's great. I'll be honest. It's great in the summers to just have two, two and a half months of living that Hollywood type. You know, you train in the mornings, you, you spend the afternoons on the beach, you go out for dinners with those, you know, a lot of those people you mentioned, the Malibu mob. And uh, me and Tony Danza uh, started that back in like 1993. And um, it just kind of stuck. So we had a group of 15, 20 people with, you know, and our kids grew up together in the summers out there. And it was it was just a great you know scene and we took turns having dinners at people's houses and um, but after two and a half months, you, you know, you get worn down, you know, everybody getting together. And by, you know, by September, when everybody's ready to go back to school and work, you know, I, I can't get wet, you know, wait to get back to the Midwest. And people are a lot different in the Midwest as they are in Malibu. So I'll just leave it at that. Chris, <laughs> I, I, I heard that rumor. I don't know if it's true. Oh, boy. Talking about training. Yeah. Is that true? You were running the bike in the sauna. Yeah, I still do. My kids you still do. do. Yeah, yeah. Don't, <laughs> wow. I don't yeah, miss machine, too many man. days. Yeah, you know, I was lucky in Montreal. I, you, you, I don't know if you were probably too young, Patrice, but the old forum had that small sauna. And, yeah, yeah. Um, just started yeah. doing it in there. And I, it started in college, but, you know, I started getting some of the guys, you know, to ride the bike in the sauna. And it was funny. It was just mostly just to sweat and warm up before the game and then get the toxics out after. But it got blown up quite a bit that I was doing it to be in better shape. There's no truth to that. It's just a matter of sweating. <laughs> it's actually cheating, like, to sweat. So um, Another story that we heard that back in 2008 when you became the oldest active player to win the, the cup and you brought it to your house, that it was just like – the who's who of everybody that came by to see it. Yeah. I mean, because of social media, you know, word spreads quick. So whenever, you know, someone heard that the cup was on the beach and it was open to the public, um, you know, you're getting guys from Sylvester Stallone to, you know, the, the meathead, you guys would know meathead from all the family, but like very prominent Tom Hanks, Kid Rock played a, a, a show later that night. Wayne Gretzky even came and, and wore a Detroit Red Wings hat, which was unbelievable. We got a picture of that which we won't release, but, uh, no, it was, it was, you know, and Patrice, you know, that the, the best thing about winning the cup, uh, not only celebrating with your teammates is to have your friends and family, how much they enjoy it. And that, and that was one heck of a party we threw on the beach for sure. Oh, That's yes. So I, I remember when we won in 93. Yeah. I pulled that party. Like I can imagine I was like 300 people and everybody, everybody wanted a picture with the cup and with yeah. you and, I was I was a, a, a such great moment and and in sharing with your, your you know your family and friends it's um, it's great 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 memories you're right yeah it's overwhelming but after like two days of the guys that, yeah. you know, the guys that carry the cups around Mike and the other guy that you know escort the Stanley Cup by the time you know they're done they're so tired so but they enjoyed my parties I'll tell you that I had the cup more for, for sure. <laughs> So great. Um, speaking of winning the cup, when you won with the Habs in the 85-86 season, what were some of the highlights? I mean, honestly, um, I thought after we won, I said, this is going to be easy. I'm playing on a great team, Montreal. I'm going to win 10 cups when I'm done. But I, 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 I was too young, not too young, but the, 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 the celebration, you know, St. Catherine Street, the parade should have only lasted an hour and a half. It lasted four hours, maybe more, in the sun, hadn't drank for two and a half months. So if I could do it all over again, I would have slowed down earlier. Um, got a, a little trouble. But, no, I, 
the memory uh, going down St. Catherine Street, ending up at the Forum, you know, everybody being presented on stage. Uh, it was great. And you can't, there's no better place to win the Stanley Cup than in a Canadian city in Montreal, Toronto. And we did it early in my career. And uh, it was great. It was one of the most memorable days of my life sitting on the back of that car with Tom Curvers and just, you know, seeing the people and, and how happy everybody was and the celebration of it. I'd never experienced anything of that size. So it was amazing. I have to admit, Chris, I was there. <laughs> I was really? there. I, yeah. skip, I skip school, never yeah. tell my mom. And uh, <laughs> you know what? And a few years after it, I was me, you know, yeah. and that parade. So yeah. well, it was great, great, great memories, Chris, honestly. Yeah, I, the Quebec people got to experience it. Like I said, if everybody from Quebec, aside from the Nordique fans, were there, you know, it was amazing. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Um, I heard I heard during playoffs that year that coach uh, Jean Ferrand didn't want the guys to be distracted by things like fun. So he made you stay in a hotel on the South Shore, didn't let you leave like a prison. Uh, you called it Alcatraz. Like, <laughs> what, what was that about? You made T-shirts. It was a great move by Jean Ferrand. I think Jacques Lemaire, I, I believe the year before, because Jacques Lemaire was my coach my first year. I think it was their idea that started putting us out there because, and I'm almost positive, you know, when Jean came in there, they didn't want to change a thing. We, our team was up and coming. You know, we had Patrick. We had a pretty good playoff run the year before with Steve Penny in the goal in the net, you know, not expecting to do anything in the playoffs. We upset a few teams and made it the semifinals. But it was Alcatraz. I think it was a Sheraton or something. I don't, it was way out in the middle of nowhere. Um, but it was a really smart idea for, the, for our group of guys. It was, it was good. <laughs> That's so good. Do you still have your T-shirt? The T-shirt set? Uh, no, no, no. Way. no. <laughs> um, we we currently have a curfew in Quebec. Did you did you follow many curfews in your day? Like, would you have any good stories of not following curfews? You won't get in trouble um, for killing us. Honestly, when Pat Burns was there, it was a little tough because he's a cop, undercover cop. <laughs> so he he was smart. He made some moves by like hiding in the hotel lobby or. You know, he, he was pretty sharp. But honestly, the night before games, we never went out. You know, that that's curfews were mostly the night before games. If things weren't going well for your team and you hit a bad patch, you know, some of the coaches would have curfews, you know, on the road a, a couple days, three days before games. But, you know, I, for the most part, everybody really respected, you know, the curfew rules and you don't want to let anybody down. So there was – you had plenty of time to go out. It wasn't an issue, um, especially in Montreal. You know, the Sundays were the big nights for us because – Um, I should say we played every Saturday night. So Saturday nights, you get to sell, you know, celebrate with everybody on the weekends. I don't think we lost a game on Saturday nights, hockey night in Canada, but every Monday we would lose. <laughs> And they were wondering why that was happening. But you know what, Chris, you're so right. Because you know what? My first coach was Pat, Pat Burns. And, you know, even if we were playing on Saturday, so I was going out on, on Thursday yeah. in Laval, you know, I was not yeah. downtown. And the next day in practice, Bernsey was, you know, skating beside me, says, you went out last night? Yeah, I have a few beers. Hey, you, you know what? You better be careful because uh, your job is not, is not sure here. So, uh, right. you know, that was Bernsey always, you know, put you on the spot and like, but yeah. how did he know that? He knows everything was, was going on in the, in the city, huh? Yeah, he was a manager of people. And I'll tell you, <laughs> the, the, the funniest store I remember involved uh, Stefan Richet. And Stefan left, all right? He left and broke curfew. And Pat Burns, he just, whatever reason, he, he, he did undercover stuff. And he drove to Stefan's house and parked outside and waited for Steph to get home till three in the morning. And that's how we caught him. Like, so, no way. Yes, true story. You know, and, and Burns, he, you can't fool him. Like, he, no. he just, he knew when you were lying. He could tell he just had a sixth sense of, you know, when someone did something wrong, you know, that was the cop in him. So he caught a lot of guys. I remember he caught Claude Lemieux. He was hiding in one of the chairs in the lobby with his back to the thing. And he just looked over his shoulder and he caught Claude red-handed and suspended Claude for the game. And it was, it was funny. He never caught you. You didn't do anything wrong though, right? Oh no. I outsmarted all the coaches. <laughs> including Jacques Lemaire. Oh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> You've had a hell of a career. Let's look back to the beginning. Drafted 40th overall by the Habs, 81. What do you remember about coming to play in Montreal for the first time? Again, I'd never been to Quebec. 
uh, I mean, obviously I knew the history of the Canadians because I watched them growing up against the Blackhawks. So, but not that I, I never realized, you know, how intense the fans were, you know, you miss a pass, they boo you, you know, you, you make a mistake, you're getting booed. And I watched the first five, six games. I was uh, injured from the Olympics. So I got to watch them play five or six games and I'm going, man, this is a rough crowd. And it, it showed because I played terrible. I was actually really nervous going on the ice for the first time in my career. Um, and it lasted like 13 games where I, I just couldn't play. And then we got in the playoffs and I started in the road. And it was a lot easier for me when I was younger to play on the road, not having to deal with that, you know, that pressure of playing at home and, and, and doing well. But again, like things for me anyway, because I was a young defenseman and the high expectations of getting off to a bad start. You know, once we go on on that playoff run in 83 and beat Boston, beat uh, Quebec and lost to the Islanders, um, walking in the dressing room, you know, looking at Guy Lafleur, Larry Robinson, Bob Ganey, I, I was terrified, to be honest with you. I just shut my mouth and hopefully, you know, I was hoping things would turn around for me. Uh, when you first got there, Bob Ganey was your captain. Uh, what did you What did you learn from him as your captain? Everything. That you could, yeah, everything eh, that you could use everything. later on. Yeah, when you're a rookie in Montreal, you don't say much. And I had guys, you know, you mentioned Bob, Steve Shutt, Mario Tremblay, you know, Pierre Mondou, Larry. Larry. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you can't say very much. If they tell you something, you better listen. And how do you argue with them? Because they've had so much success. They're such great players. And I think they make you understand what the team's all about. It's not about your individual, you know, your goals, your assists. It's just about winning. And you can do that when you've won five, six cups. You know, when you don't win, everybody's, you know, trying to worry about themselves and trying to put up numbers. And, but the success that they had had before I got there and that group of players you mentioned, especially Bob Ganey, he never said a lot, Bo, but when he did, you listen, that that was probably the most important thing. And again, I was very respectful to any of the, the, the veteran players uh, throughout my career. And that's probably what, you know, taught me to be a, a better leader and a better teammate to, to my teammates. Did you ever get in trouble with him? He's a quiet guy, no. but I bet if you tipped um, him off. You're talking about Bob Ganey? Yeah. Yeah, we were neighbors, and I actually hung out with his kids a lot. So he get mad at me a little bit. Like, if, <laughs> like the, one example would be nothing, you know, that I would understand until he started telling us. But we would be winning a game five one. I take a chance, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, it's five two. And after the game, he'd take me aside and said, "Look, we were fine winning this game five one. Bob wanted to win games two to one, you know, three to nothing, and." I wanted to just keep scoring goals and getting assists. That's what I wanted. You're not jeopardizing the team's success, but I figure if we got five, why not get eight? So that was the problem I had with Bob. He he'd already played long enough. I was trying to you know trying to do well and, and get a big contract like everybody else. Now after he retired, you and Guy Carboneau uh, took over as co-captains. What was that like? Yeah, I, I wasn't ready to be honest with you. The pressure of being not only American or English, you know, not being able to speak French that. That bothered me a lot. I took French lessons, you know, for a year, year and a half. But that just wasn't, you know, enough. Um, obviously, there's that problem, that, you know, when Quebec was trying to separate from Canada and the separatists. Like, honestly, I'd never seen so many home fans, you know, cheer for other teams just because of that, you know, that friction between the English and the French. And not that anybody's right or wrong, but it was for me. It was really hard to understand that. What was I've never had to deal with that anywhere I played. So um, it was an honor, obviously, being chosen with Carbo. He's one of my best friends, you know. And it was it was way better that we both were captains, co-captains. So we, you know, rotated, and Carbo had to deal with the French and the English, and I, you know, basically only deal with the English. But I wasn't ready for that. My career I was too passionate on the ice, uh, undisciplined at sometimes, you know. So Carbo was good. He's level-headed, quiet. And he, you know, he, we were both good for each other, I think. But uh, we have to tell the people that was the players who vote. Yeah. So, you know, I, so maybe if you say you were not ready, your teammates vote for you. So yeah. they, they believe in you. Yeah, that part was great. And thank God the vote was a tie. At least that's, <laughs> that's what we heard. <laughs> search, I think search the part counted the votes, but um <laughs> Yeah, and honestly, it would have been. I don't think I would have. It wouldn't have been much fun just being captain by myself. It was way too much pressure. Uh, you know, filling Bob's, not filling Bob's shoes. No one could do that. Right. Um, but again, um, yeah, my, I was well liked by my teammates for sure. Patrice, that's that was most important to me, and um, and had the respect of my teammates. But again, I, I, you know, I still wasn't ready. And even when I got to Chicago and was named captain, you know, I, I, I 
a little more prepared, but I just wasn't the type of player. Like Larry Robinson's a great example. He could never be a captain because he was too emotional and he had ups and downs and, you know, he'd yell and scream after he got burned on a one-on-one. So, you know, but I, I would have been, you know, very content being an assistant captain. But at that point, you know, who was going to do it? You know, I don't know who could have done it at that point when it worked out for the best. Yeah. We've, uh, we've talked before about Montreal being, you know, you're under a spotlight in Montreal yeah. when you play for the Canadians. How did you handle, how did you handle the pressure over the years that you were there? I mean, I didn't bother me one bit after, you know, my, you know, like I said, that first run of playoffs, I thought it was great having all the attention and people taking care of you in restaurants and bars and, you know, everybody being so nice to you. And, and um, when you're winning, there's no better place to be. When you're losing, you just stay home and hide. That's what I like. So, <laughs> you have a bad it's, game. It's still to the case today. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> I, Patrice gets it. Like, you know when to go out and, and have a good time and, and, and yeah. you know, you pick your spots. But you know what? It, it, it adds that pressure that you know, some guys need and you, you have to perform. They're, you can't fool the fans. They, they know hockey. They understand the game. So if you're, you're not working – uh, you're not playing well, they're going to let you know. But, the, you know, the next game, if you're doing great and the team wins, they're going to let you know that too in a positive way, which is the great thing about, you know, the Montreal fans. Introducing Advice Plus, a new way to create a plan together that keeps you heading in the right direction. We start by getting to know you better. Then we'll work together to build a plan that grows with you, adding personalized products and solutions along the way that can help you reach your goals tomorrow. We get to know you better to guide you better. Today and tomorrow, Advice Plus, only from Scotiabank. Now you two both have big personalities. The knock on players today is that hockey players don't have personalities or at least we don't see them. You guys being so gregarious, uh, what do you think, how much as a player should people see? Is it good because then you get to know them and it, you draw more fans in or should it be like, we're giving it a hundred percent tonight? That's a great question, Chantal. I'm just telling you, we just talked about that. And, you know, so, someone asked me that yesterday. What do you think? When you think of an NHL player and, you know, who do you think of? Like, who's the first guy that comes to mind that's got the charisma and the, you know, and, and the game to back it. And honestly, I, I couldn't think, I mean, yeah, there's some great players, Crosby and Ovechkin and, and Kane and stuff, but it's almost like the, the world's become so sensitive, at least in the U.S. Canada you know, doesn't seem to, you know, they got thicker skin up in Canada for sure. So, um, but it's become such a world of sensitivity. Guys are afraid to, they don't want to, you know, they, they, I've never seen so many guys on their, their phones after games and on the bus and not communicating with each other. And then as you, you talked about, like, in the U.S., I don't know who stands out, to be honest. We could be that guy that could be the Michael Jordan or the Wayne Gretzky was one of the greatest ambassadors for the sport. But it seems like our top guys, Taze, these guys that, you know, winning cups, they, they don't want to be in the spotlight. They don't want to be that guy, you know, that you know, represents the NHL. And no, no fault to them. I don't – you'd have to ask them. And I think um, uh, social media, it's a big part of that. Yeah. Like, if you want to know something about me, just look at my phone and – you know, that's it. Yeah. And, and people and, and people in Montreal, they want to know about their players, where they're from, what they like, what they, they go for, uh, for dinner. What, you know what? When you play for the Montreal Canadiens, you, you, you know what? You're home then. You know, the, 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 the people own the, the players. They yeah. want to know and they, where are you shopping? Where this? Where, you know what? They, they, they want to know those things. Yeah. Yeah, and the perfect example, I think you mentioned a player in Montreal, P.K. Subban. I think the, fan, the fans of Montreal loved him and, you know, love him or hate him, you know, and I'm talking about the stuff off the ice. You know, he's a, a character. He's got a personality. He's a great player. He was, you know, back in the day, he was a great player. And, you know, you trade a kid like that, and I think everybody in Montreal loved him and Quebec loved him. But unfortunately, when you're the top player, if you don't perform or something happens to the team, you have a, it's easy to blame that guy calling him a distraction, you know, I don't, and that's why guys shy away from, you know, doing stuff away from the rink and, and, and going into social media and becoming, you know, a, a type of icon in, in that field. And, and, and he's a perfect example. I think it worked, you know, work, it worked great with them when they were succeeding, but when, you know, when, as soon as things started going a little bad on the ice, they seemed to want to blame him. 
What do you think of guys having outside interests? You know, during, while you're playing, you're almost expected to focus hundred percent, but then all of a sudden hockey can be over. And a lot of guys don't have the next step because they focused all their attention on hockey. Like it's kind of a catch 22. Yeah. I mean, I'm an all or nothing guy. So when I was playing, I, I committed to hockey and hockey alone. I never, you know, I had restaurants and bars, you know, for, you know, in Chicago and Detroit, but all run by my family, uh, not a burden to me. It was just something to go somewhere and hang out with the fans and be a part of the fans. And, you know, you talk about being sociable. I'm the most sociable person in the world, you know, or in the league, I, I would say making myself approachable to people. I don't have a problem with that. I don't mind. Everybody's nice to you. So that's why I went into the, the restaurant bar business and mostly because I just bought the buildings and it was real estate deals. But um, as a player, other than, you know, endorsements, I mean, I don't see too many guys doing a lot of business and maybe, you know, behind the scenes they do, but you know, you, no one, not too many guys have bar restaurants while they play. And, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's tough. And I, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of against it. When you, when you're playing hockey, I, I believe you should have your agent handling the financial stuff. And of course you're involved a little bit, but hockey should be first and foremost before everything. hundred uh, percent with, I uh, agree with you because every week, I was asking, you want to invest in that money in that business, restaurant, bar, uh, so, so many business. And I always say, you know what? No, no, I'm focusing on hockey. I'm a hockey player. I'm not a businessman. Yeah. Maybe, you know, when I'm going to get older, yes, but not now. Yeah. But you're right. That's, you, you, yeah. We have so many opportunities. And sometimes, you know what? You think about it said, hey, maybe, you know what? I can't be great. I can make good money. But you know what? You never know. You never know because some people, they want to take advantage. Yeah. And you make the connections as a player to, to, to hopefully, you know, work with these people after your career. But like, there's some great examples. I think I remember Jeff Cortnall and Russ Cortnall got into that business, some type of mining business. And when they went bad and all the players in the NHL lost their money, you know, you could see some guys, their careers like that at that time, they took a little dip. And I think Jeff Cortnall, because of the stress, you know, lost 15, 20 pounds. So that's the other thing you have to worry about is the effect it has on you on the ice too. You know, you lose a hundred thousand dollars. You hear those stories about players losing money and, and, you know, all of a sudden they're, they're not the same player. So you have to worry about that too. Now, when you say you focused on hockey, you were just good at a bunch of other sports. Like hockey wasn't the thing that you grew up thinking you were going to do to make money, right? You were good at no, baseball. I mean, yeah, I, I was ba way better baseball player, and I like actually love baseball more than hockey. It just worked out the way it did because of my dad, and and that's a long story. I, don't, I can't get into that, but it was a good decision by him to, to take me out of baseball, I guess. I, I ended up doing all right, but, um, you know, like realistically, I never thought pro come at my age anyway, coming out of Chicago, no one was making it into the NHL. I just wanted to get into college, you know, get into college get a degree. And I, I had my mind made up at a young age that I wanted to get into business. That's it. So I was going to get a business degree. So there was no pressure on me to make the NHL because I had no expectations of making it to the NHL. And then when it got to be a, you know, a real a reality that I, you know, I got drafted by Montreal and I was going to college. And, you know, then when I got chosen to the Olympic team, that's when I actually thought I had a shot to make the NHL, but not before that did I, I really didn't, you know, I just, I was just playing because I love playing hockey And it just worked out for me that everything that was going bad for me before I was 17, 18, all of a sudden when I went to Musha went really good for me. Just really fortunate. How was it, Chris, to play in the Olympic? You know, oh. representing your, your country. It was, I'm sure it's something special. Again, yeah, you're, you're one of 22 guys gets chosen, you know, every four years. It's, it was amazing that, you know, again, out of college, um, You know, after my first year, again, I wasn't even thinking Olympics till after my, you know, during my second year when I, things were going so well. And then I, I, I'll never forget my first, you know, the, the march, uh, the opening ceremonies in Sarajevo. You know, that's where it hits you because you're with all the athletes, you know, marching through town and they light the torch. And, you know, we were lucky back then because we were able to participate in that. Now the NHL guys, or when I was in the NHL and go to the Olympics, you don't, You don't feel like part of the festivities and you don't stay after you have to go right back. So it's not the same, but you know, that first one was unbelievable and such like, you know, I don't know if you played on world teams or uh, you know, the world tournaments, but you know, anytime you can represent your country, you're, you're real fortunate because only 20, you know, 22 guys a year get to do it. And there's so many great players in the league and around the world. 
That's so fun. Yeah. And what was your connection to bobsledding? <laughs> oh my God, just a bunch of dumb Greeks. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was during the Olympics. I met these Greek, the Greek bobsled guys in the cafeteria. And you know, I kept an eye on them, watched them. And we just, you know, the cafeterias during, in the village are all, you get everybody's together and all the countries and all the teams and all the sports. Uh, and I just did it because we had a lockout and I figured, you know what, I'll help these guys raise some money. And if I, you know, if it goes long enough, the lockout and I can compete, you know, good. It was great. And I, I only competed in a world, two World Cups, one in Calgary and one in Lake Placid. And it was great. The guys were great guys. We were on our heads more than we were on the, the sled the right way, which was no fun. Um, burned a hole right in my helmet and almost singed my hair. But it was like I said, I, at first I thought this is fun. I thought, you know what, maybe I can help these guys. I'm a good runner. Maybe have a great start. Um, but a, a great experience. And like I said, I never I didn't take it serious. I just wanted to have a good time. Yeah, that's very fun. Are there any pictures of this that we can see? I mean, if you Google Chelios bobsledding, I think in Calgary, they got me upside down, sleds upside down. Our world. <laughs> Calgary, some one of the top uh, bobsled guys in Calgary, I can't remember his name, but he really ripped into me when he found out I was doing this, you know, to, and there's a lot of training involved. There's no question. These guys' legs were massive, you know, compared to hockey players, a lot of them sprinters. Um, but I, I, you know, he ripped me really good in the papers. So the next day I went into the, the shed where everybody's equipment was, Canada's, you know, Bahamas, um, all the countries. And I stole his gear and put it on the next time that we went down the hill. So he thought it was pretty fun. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it was a good experience. I'll, I'll tell you that I had a lot of fun with it. Oh, that's so fun. You seem to have fun in everything you do, which is awesome. Uh, looking back to Montreal, what are some of your favorite memories from your time here? Well, no question. The Stanley cup, um, playing in the all-star game, um, the friends I made, I, I really wish they'd have been a little more patient with me. Um, you know, that, and, and I did find out uh, eventually, you know, why search traded me. I don't know if I can, I think I could uh, tell it now. You guys probably, you're no longer going to get, you're no longer going to get in trouble for anything. Okay. You say I, I promise. I promise Serge, I wouldn't tell anybody because I, I, I came up to him one of the awards banquets and I cornered him. I said, Serge, why, you know, I, I still really don't understand. He never spoke. And he did me a favor, uh, you know, by sending me to Chicago. But all it was basically was I had a bad knee, right? At the time, I'd hurt my knee a few times. How's your knee it, now? It's not great. <laughs> but I could, I could do it. Those years. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it hasn't changed too much. But I guess when they had the x-rays back then, it showed my knee had, you know, bone on bone back then. And they thought he's not going to last. And the doctor told him, you, you know, you, you better last. And, and it, it did look bad because then when I went to Chicago, the same thing. They looked at my MRIs and they traded me because they thought my knee was shot. But, it, you know, it didn't bother me till after I got to Detroit. And after six or seven years, I found out, you know, I had no ACL, which I, I didn't know. And I knew when I, I I knew when I tore it, I just didn't fix it because, you know, my legs were so strong, it wasn't moving. But eventually, you know, I pay, I'm paying the price now. Wow. So, well, you, again, you, were, you were really disappointed to get trained. Yeah, devastated. And if it wasn't Chicago, I would have been, you know, it would have affected me a long time. But, you know, and things went well when I got to Chicago. They were on their way up. They had a great team. So you forget quick. You have to, you know. But if things had gone bad and I wouldn't have succeeded in my hometown, um, and again, Patrice, you got to play in your hometown. You know, it, it, there's nothing, you know, if one thing to make it the NHL, then you get to play in front of your hometown crowds. And being a French Canadian player for the Montreal Canadiens, I couldn't think of a better situation because, you know, you're known everywhere. In Chicago, you know, I could blend in, but, you know, to be able to go back to my hometown where I grew up and learned the game, you know, that was, that was pretty special for me. That's so awesome. Uh, in Montreal, what guys were you closest to back then? Oh boy. I, you know, we had a group of guys, we had eight rookies my year. So like Tom Curvers, uh, Kent Carlson, Alfie Turcott, uh, Brian Scrudland, Mike McPhee. They, those two lived out in the suburbs right away because they had kids, but we had a group of guys, Shane Corson, Mike Keen, um, Carbo, you know, hung around Chris. Stefan, Stefan Richet. Yeah, we <laughs> actually, we were a close team, like very close team. So we went out together. We didn't have clicks of, you know, the, we only had one Swede, two Swedish guys, Mats, uh, uh, Mats Naslin and Shell Deline. So there, yeah. were, there weren't a lot of clicks. So we hung out together and especially on the road, we all went out together. 
Uh, I remember all the times after practice that there'd be 14 guys across the street at that brasserie below the Alexis neon there. So we had very, it was, it was great atmosphere with the guys and with your teammates. So I hung around everybody, you know, and then later in my career started having, you know, I had the kid, you start hanging around married guys. That's how it works. Yeah. (laughs) Any, uh, any good Patrick Waugh stories? Oh boy. Uh, You know, he was quiet when I was there. He was quiet. You know, Bob Ganey, when he left, he became a little more outspoken and, you know, you know, he went after the second cup, very outspoken. He is a hothead, but he was a great kid. We got along unbelievable. Uh, the best story I could think was on the airplane. The, he got locked somehow in the bathroom by himself in the airplane. And all we hear is the pounding and the screaming. And when he came out, it looked like he just played a game. His face was all red. And he was sweating. He had the worst <laughs> panic attack ever um, oh. that I've seen. <laughs> Oh. But no, he, you know, he was just a real calm. Patrick was calm when I was there, really calm. And then you played with him later, Patrice. I be, he became a little more outspoken, I believe, yeah. with you guys. He became a, a more of a leader, and right? I, you, I mean, you'd have to tell me that. The thing is, with Patrick, uh, I think for me, it was the, the goalie was talking the most in the dressing room. You know, the, the, usually the goalies are more like you know their own zone, and they. Yeah. But Patrick was not shy to say, "Hey, come on, boys." Uh, you know what, we can't play better and this and that. It was the only one. And yeah. because he was so confident. And, and sometimes when you, you know, you know, Chris, when you talk in the room, you have to perform after. You know, so many players, you know, it's easy. To say, oh, come on, well, wake up, this and that. But you're going on the ice and you're doing nothing. Yeah. So I, I would prefer a guy, you know what, don't say anything, but show something on the ice. Yeah. Yeah. And Patrick well, was, was both. You, yeah. you know, I heard things sometimes where I think to players, uh, you know what? Hey, let's go. Wake the, uh-huh. And, yeah. but seeing that, he knows he's putting pressure on his shoulder because it's easy to, to blame other players, but you know what? You have to perform after. And yeah. Patrick was, was able to do that. He walked the walk. That's for sure. A lot like Michael Jordan. He was yeah. hard on his teammates, you know, yeah. but he went out there and did it. And Patrick was basically the same thing. You know? Same thing, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. He hated losing. Yeah. Now you officially retired at 48. I don't know if you know this. That's very old for a hockey player. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> only Gordy Howe at 52 is older. What was the secret to your longevity? I mean, again, I, I was lucky enough that I played for Detroit and, and was able to play there my last 10 years because we had such a good team. And I had no ego. I, I knew that now at this age at 40, it, it could be over the next year, the following year. So I just after losing the, the last two years in Chicago, having really disappointing years and not being able to carry the load anymore, playing, you know, 25 to 30 minutes, you know, when I got to Detroit, I just kind of fit in as a role player. You know, at first when Scotty Bowman coached me, he still played me in a big role, power play, penalty kill, you know, top four guy. And then two, three years later, you know, I get to Mike Babcock and basically then I'm just a mentor for the young kids, but I loved it. I was still top penalty killing unit with Nick Lidstrom playing 14 to 20 minutes a game sometimes. And like, like I said, after losing for two years in Chicago, I, I figured it's better to play less and win than play more and lose. So I never, you know, thought of retiring until they made the decision for me. And, I, <laughs> and it was time. My knee was, you know, if it had, we gotten late in the playoffs, gone deep in the playoffs, my knee wouldn't have been able to handle it anymore. I, you know, I barely got through that 2002 uh, cup there uh, with uh, 2006 or seven, I should say, you know, freezing my knee every game, you know, and, and then the freezing wasn't working anymore. So I, you know, in my mind, I knew it wasn't possible to play that role that I had played all those years. You know what, Chris, I admire you because playing until 48 years old, you know what? It's sick. <laughs> I know you're passionate about the game, but your body, your, you know what? I was 30, 37, 38, you know, after 18 years, some morning I can't walk. I can't, you know, at my back, I had two back surgery. And I'm like, I watching you like 42, 43, 44, 45. And you were playing still like 16, 18, 20 minutes a game. Yeah. Well, that's, that's amazing, Chris. That's wow. I don't know how you do that, but I what's do. your it's secret? My... I want to know your secret. <laughs> I'll right now, I, I mean, everybody works hard. I know that. I think I worked hard earlier than most people, like in the you know early 90s. And I, I was ahead of the game there a little bit when it came to training. 
But at the end of the day, I'm going to give it to like my mom and dad, our genetics. They're, they're in great shape. For, you know, my dad passed, but he was still, you know, rock solid, great legs. So my mom's 88. And I watched her run the other day a little bit, trying to get back in the house. So his <laughs> genetics too, like I, that, that part, I, I believe in that whole Greek thing, you know, Leonidas and all these Greek gods. So <laughs> that gold that is in my hair, believe it or not, it's not colored. When it turns gold, I'm just... My mind's telling me it's come up for coming from up somewhere with the Greek people. I don't even believe in God, but I believe in these Greek warriors. So um, I'll just wow. I'll just answer with that, Patrice. Okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, be a Greek of Greek heritage and blame it on the Greek gods, and that's how Absolutely. you uh, lasted. Absolutely. <laughs> um, give us some fitness and nutrition tips. Like, was it just chicken breasts and green beans every day for forty years? Did you ever have ice cream? Honestly, and no one's going to believe me, but I've never, I was 188 pounds when I turned pro, probably my second year of college, and I'm still 188 pounds. I could eat anything I want. When you got four kids, when even if you don't order the McDonald's, you end up eating half their food. I eat dessert. I eat everything. But my friend Laird Hamilton, the surfer, once said, a hot flame will burn anything. So as long as you train and exercise, and I figured out it's pretty simple. Whatever you, you take in, you burn. You know, if you're going to eat 1,500 calories, try and burn 1,700 while you're training or, you know, at least 1,000 a day. Like if I don't work out some days, I just don't eat as much. That, that, that's, I keep it pretty simple. So, but no, I eat everything. And, you know, and if I feel like I've eaten too much, then I'll train more. But again, genetics, my mom and dad, same weight their whole lives. Like, and my mom, like I said, I wish you guys see my mom. Uh, where her cheetah pants and her, her tight pants and so she's it's amazing how good a shape she's still in her my aunt and my uncle they just got great genetics you know they're 92 90 and 88 um you were inducted into the hockey hall of fame in 2013 uh what did what did that honor mean to you were you expecting the call did you see it on your call display and you were like whoa this is cool no i mean they gave me a heads up uh, okay. obviously after my career and playing as long as i did and being american I'm not going to lie to you. You know, I, I kind of assumed I was going to get a hall of fame. Uh, most, you know, people talk about it, you know, whatever, but um, it's still surreal for sure. Um, I don't think Gary Bettman called me. <laughs> I don't think he likes me very much. Um, but yeah, getting the call, it was uh, Quinn, Pat Quinn had called me and it was a great conversation with me, Shani and Niedermeyer. And um, I'm, Sorry about the girl, the Irish girl. I'm sorry, no disrespect to her. I, I can't remember her name. Uh, one of the first inductees, but and I had the best time of my life with her at the at the uh, at the All Star event with her and her family. They didn't have a lot of money, and I invited her and her mom and dad just right off the boat in Ireland to our party, and they had the time of their lives. And if you could find out who that was, tell her I'm sorry. Um, but <laughs> wow. I'll never forget her. She was such a great girl and uh, respectful and thankful and. But again, it was all about having, I had a hundred people there from mostly, you know, the U S and, you know, crossing the border and, and, and as, as hard as it was, you know, to get over there, I had, you know, more people than anybody and accommodated everybody. The party at Wayne Gretzky's, uh, you know, bar the night before having kid rock perform was crazy. And, and my friends will never forget it. They still talk about it. It was one of the best nights, you know, best two nights of my life. My parents were both there. It was great family, kids, yeah. Chris, Hall of Famer, three Stanley Cup, but three Norris, uh, Norris Trophy. That's pretty amazing. You know, when you say you're, you're the best defenseman in the, in the world, that's, that's, that's a great, great, great accomplishment. Yeah. I can, and like I said, I never expected. I wanted to, you know, once I realized I can make the NHL, I just wanted to make it then the competitiveness in you. You know, you're playing against Ray Bork and they've always been friends, but, you know, I hate it. You want to be exactly me too. I, you know, same, same, same thing, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. We were respectful of each other before the games, you know, morning skates, they'd come on the bench, you say hi, but I wanted to beat them. And you know, yeah. I wanted to beat Paul coffee. I wanted to beat, you know, Scott Stevens and, oh, McInnes just, and oh yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So, I mean, never expected to beat them, but it happened three times. So I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. Uh, wow. Geraldine, Geraldine Heaney was the, uh... thank you very much. If Geraldine sees us, Hi, Geraldine. Happy St. Patty's Day. <laughs> you deserve it yeah. more than anybody. 
Um, we were speaking about other interests, acting. So we spoke with Alex Kovalev last week and he talked about wanting to be an actor for a while before he got into coaching. Uh, but you also had the acting bug, at least briefly, uh, the Mighty Ducks. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I had the bug, Chantal. What I did was someone backed out at the last minute uh, and it just happened to be in Malibu where they were shooting that day. And I said, if I go, you know, sometimes you know how it is on the set. You could be there eight hours and then, you you know, go up there for three minutes and that's it. You're done. So the deal I made with them was I'll come, but I want to be the first scene and I want to get a shot and it's over. So they did it. And it was great. I did it with Luke Robitaille. I think Cam Neely, I can't remember uh, everybody that was there, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but I really didn't like the acting thing. I did a, a couple of commercials that were, they're okay, you know, those are better because it's a little quicker, but unless you're getting paid, I don't like seeing myself on TV. And I actually realized that I didn't, I couldn't sit in a trailer. Like if you became one of those guys, I could not sit in a trailer. Uh, the amount of time they do, it's, a, it's, it's, it would drive them. That's why they're all crazy. Those celebrities, they sit, you know, they're all nuts. So that wasn't me. All the guys that live in your area, they all like, they relate to the sitting in the trailer. Cause they're all stars on TV. Yeah. I mean, a lot, like I said, most of them, you know, the, 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 the top guys like John Cusack, for sure. Great actor, uh, DB Sweeney, but they got their issues. You know, like everybody's got their issues, you know, I got mine, but they're seeming a little deeper. um how do you like how'd you like being in the media after you hung up your uh skates you 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 worked as a tv analyst for a little bit did you like that yeah you know what what i I was supposed to just be an ambassador and somehow they wrote me into doing the in between the period uh you know i don't know what you call them just the color and i did it with a young girl just out of college and it it actually ended up being a really good experience and, and she didn't know a lot about hockey but as the year progressed, she got better. And that's how it is. I have a daughter in that business. She works for Tampa Bay Lightning and it's repetitive. And, and it's amazing how quickly she got better. And I was like really happy that, to see her succeed. And she's still there now. And it wasn't what I wanted to do, but I actually enjoyed it. And then doing ESPN, you know, during the Canada Cups and the World Cup was a blast with Brad Hull. Uh, I had a great time doing that. I like short stints. I don't think I'd like enjoy it, you know, especially if I had to travel. I just don't want to travel anymore. That that would be the grind. And I, I really, you know, after I, I got into, you know, coaching and, and you know, with the Detroit Red Wings, I was lucky enough that they let me do it part time. No, no traveling. But then I got so spoiled, you know, being around my, my kids and, and my family and going where I wanted to. I could never go back to coaching or anything, you know, eight months a year ever. Yeah, like me. You know what, Chris? I, I did two years of uh, player development. Yeah. You're always on the road, always yeah. by yourself, always by yourself in the airplane at the hotel, at the rink. After two years, I say, you know what? That's not for me. That's no. not for me. The traveling was ridiculous. And yeah. I would prefer more like be, you know, in, in a team, coaching staff. At least you would, you know, with somebody. Yeah. And, uh, I feel, I feel uh, very, very difficult at that job. Yeah. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in the car alone driving to Grand yeah. Rapids. I really didn't enjoy it. Sometimes three days a week. And it's, I mean, you're not going to cry for us. Like we all have a great <laughs> career. It's a great life playing in the NHL, but the after part, you know, I played so long too, you know, I missed out on a lot of stuff with my four children. They all played sports, you know, division one sports. So I just wanted to make up for it. And I did, you know, they got to, you know, I never missed a game for any reason once I was retired. Yeah. How hard is it? You have two boys, right? Two boys, two girls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how hard is it? Do you think to follow in the footsteps if you are going to be a hockey player and your dad is Chris Chelios? You know what? You don't realize it. And my kids are pretty quiet, respectful kids. And one for sure. I know it bothered my one son. He's more like his mother a little bit, you know, he's, he's laid back and, and you can tell it by, and I think he, he struggled with it after, you know, uh, not making it like Jake made it at least to, to a level American league and got to play about seven, eight games with the wings. Um, but again, you, that's when your parenting comes in, you talk to them, how proud you are. Um, and the girls were great. They played lacrosse. I loved women's lacrosse and, and they were totally opposite to the kids. Kaylee was mean and feisty and like her dad <laughs> and the other one was like her mom, but she made it like, which was great because they played for Kelly Amante. I don't know if you guys knew you know, Northwestern, the, the, the women's lacrosse team won seven national championships in 10 years. So, you know, they both made, you know, one of the best teams, you know, in the nation. So that was, and it's an amazing school too, to get a degree. 
So it was great. And I, like I said, I'm sure it was tough on the boys at times. I mean, I'd sit in crowds and they'd be chanting, Chelio sucks, you know, to the kids. <laughs> I'm like, God, can you believe Not again? <laughs> yeah. I don't know you have the parents staring at me. I gotta get out of here. So. That's funny. Uh, you mentioned your daughter, Kaylee, with Tampa. I saw that she was just part of the all-female uh, broadcast. What do you think of more and more women getting into leadership roles in sport? I mean, I, it's amazing. I mean, I look back at my, my sisters. They never had that opportunity in that, you know, the late 60s, early 70s. There was no opportunity, not, you know, not to even play hardly any sports. So any women who made it back then, you know, I tip my hat to them because there was, you know, my dad, you know, committed to me and my brother. And that's just the way it was. And now, you know, the way things are now and seeing all these women excelling in every single position there is, you know, work, sports, um, it's fantastic. And then to see my daughter, you know, every year getting better and all the, you know, how much she loves it. Um, it's, it, it's great. And, and, and that's the movement now. And, and, and it should be equal for everybody. If you, especially if you put in your time and you work and you, and you earn it, you know, it shouldn't be given to you just because you're a woman or, or that you got to earn it. And these women are earning it. Patrice, you have two daughters. You must, uh, you must yeah. see this too. I agree with Chris. That's, you know what, as a father, you just give them, you know what, confidence. If that's what you want to do, you know what, the sky's the limit. And uh, that's why I said to, to my girls, you know what, and whatever you want to do, just give 100% and believe in yourself and you're going to make it. And uh, they're doing very, very good at school. I'm very, very proud. And I'm sure they're going to do something good in, in, their, in their life. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard work. That's it, Patrice. It's just yeah. all about hard work. And, and then when you get your chance, you make the most of it. Yeah. Uh, now, Scotiabank is the main sponsor of the Alumni Lounge. So let's talk about money before we wrap up. Uh, when you signed your first big contract, what was your first big purchase? Well, oh, boy. What did I buy? I bought a 19... 19- something Bronco, a big truck. You know, I didn't buy it till, you know, I came back the next year. I bought a Bronco, like the OJ Broncos, those, uh, <laughs> those big oversized trucks. I mean, it was a wrong truck for Montreal. I'll tell you that all those skinny streets. It was dumb to buy <laughs> that truck. Uh, so I learned, um, but yeah, that, that was it. And you mentioned Scotia bank. I, I, that's where my first bank. That's, that's where I banked right on. Uh, it was just kitty corner from the old forum. Um, what street's that? St. Catherine Street, actually. In, uh, Atwater. Atwater, yeah, right on that corner. I'll never forget, I never had a checkbook, never had a credit card. That's the first time I ever had any of that stuff. And I was, they were babysitting me with my financials because at that time, obviously, I wasn't married and you know, and didn't have a clue what I was doing. Um, we've been asking everybody before they go, one fun fact that people don't know about you. Everybody knows everything about me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I like to have a good time, obviously, and I travel and I I don't, I'm not good sit still. So I've been involved in a lot of fun stuff over the years, you know, mostly because of my career and who I was as an NHL player, but you know, the, the charity events, you meet a lot of people at charity events, the celebrities and athletes. Uh, That's where it started. You know, it started at the Montreal general hospital, you know, the, the visits the Canadians made. And that's where I learned, you know, that that, that was part, part of your responsibility as a, as a, as a player, you know, to help out others and children's, especially, you know, which was what we learned in Montreal at that children's hospital. So um, again, always treated people good. I hope, you know, people treated me well, and that's pretty much the bottom line. My best memory, you know, thinking about you, the first time I met you, I'm 16 years old. I've, you know, Donnie Meehan called my parents. Said, we we want to meet with Patrice because uh, he's a top, you know, prospect. And uh, I want to invite him to the forum. And after that, we, uh, we're going to, you know, meet, meet some, some players. So Donnie Meehan asked me, he said, who's your favorite players? And I said, Chris Chilios. He said, oh, <laughs> good. He says, you know what? He's my client. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm 16 years old. So after the game, we met. And you brought me a stick and I still have that stick. Wow. Today. So you know what? That was a big impact because I always, always like you, the way you were playing, you know what? Every game, you know what? You play with so much passion. And uh, the first game I play against you. Okay. You're in Chicago. I'm in Montreal and um, a little scrub and you know what? 
guys pushing and somebody's pushing me and I turn around, that was you, you, you push me yeah. and I push you back and you push me and you push you back. And the rest, you know, I look at you like, I don't know if you, you want to drop or, but you know, I'm like, and after the game I said, almost fight my, you know, my, my idol, you know, that was yeah. like, but you know, I was ready because. But you should like, have dropped your gloves then, because I'd never not drop mine if someone drops it first. I know you went. We did. You you went uh, intense guys and you know uh, intense player, and what it take it whatever it take you know what you were ready. Yeah. And I was well, same thing. I, I was not a fighter, but you know what? If something happened, I know I defend myself. Yeah. Well, but thank you was... for being respectful. I, I think <laughs> out of respect. And I honestly remember you saying that publicly that I was one of your favorite players when you first turned, you know, we're on the Canadians. Yeah. I was so mad when I played Montreal all the time. I went after Recky. I, I, I hated yeah. you because, you know, I felt you took my spot. I started hating Desjardins, who I loved him a lot. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to kill every defenseman on the team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, don't worry. I, I, I knew it. But yeah. that, was, that was okay. That was yeah. well, it's part of the game. But, you know, I, res I respect you so much. And, you know, Thanks. your career you had, it's, it's incredible. Uh, more than 1,600 games, Stanley Cup. And, but, you know, when, you know, hockey, it's, you know, it's small community and everybody will play with you. They love you, Chris, because uh -oh. you're real, real teammates. And, you know, the guys, they, they love to play with you. Thank you. Yeah. And same to those guys. I loved every one of my teammates. <laughs> I mean, sure. if you want, if you want, we could set up like a fight between you guys now, you know, you can, no, you can make up for okay. that. I'm not a father. I'm a lover. <laughs> yeah. No, I want my nose where it is. I like it where it is. As big as it is. I don't care. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, we haven't laughed this hard in ages. So thank you so much for that, Chris. You were wonderful. You bet, Chantel. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you guys about the old days. It was great. Patrice, thank you very much. Thank you for your time. All right. Well, that's it for the Alumni Lounge this week. Thank you all for joining us and uh, for taking a stroll down memory lane. Very fun. We'll be back next week with another wonderful Montreal Canadiens alumni. The Alumni Lounge uh, can be subscribed to anywhere you find your podcasts. It's also on YouTube, also available en français. We alternate each week between French and English. So search for Le Salon des Anciens to check it out. See you next time. This program is brought to you by Scotia Advice Plus. A simple conversation today can help you reach your goals tomorrow. Only from Scotiabank.